We will ask and answer at least these two questions. Is Christian persecution in the West imminent? And if so, how do we react to it? We will start with our chronological reading through the Bible, though, on this week's Corey True Act Show. start with commendations, though, and I'm not giving those commendations to myself. They go to you, the listener. About 20 of you reached out to Corey Truax Show at, g- at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, to ask for that legislative language and some tips, or at least a link on how to find your legislators, and several of you have even sent me your, uh, your responses from your legislators. So thank you for participating in that effort. As I would like to, if not this cycle, this session of our state legislature, then in the next, go ahead and get the ball rolling towards doing what Louisiana did and have, requiring age verification for online pornography. Thank you for your help in that effort, and we'll get, continue to update you as I learn anything about the uh, the cycle. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching. We meet, Beachwood Church, at 10.30 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You're invited. It's a really good time to get started if you are in between churches or if you're just moving in the area. We're just a few weeks away from finishing a years-long series in the Revelation. I, I will, Lord willing, finish up the Gospel of Mark series in the month of February. And then new stuff. It's, it's fun to start new things. And so coming out, we'd love to have you any given Sunday morning. I'm dedicated to starting the show with chronological reading of the Bible with uh, in 2023. And if you would have done that these last seven days since you last heard the show, at least if you're listening live on his radio talk on Saturday mornings or Saturday evenings at 8 o'clock, you would have read through some of the most iconic, fundamental stories of the Bible, of the most significant book in human history you would have read through at least these three that I want to highlight. You would have read all of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stories, almost all. The, you know, I, I found, I'll tell you the story, I found when I was a kid singing some songs, or as I was a teen singing some songs, there would be a an advantage I would have because I had a lot of background Bible knowledge from being a missionary kid and doing a lot of Sunday school. So when you have, uh, what was that? Your grace is enough. Um, great is your uh, great is your faithfulness, O God. I think there's a line, O God of Jacob. Man, if you're not coming in as a believer, you have no idea what that's about. Um, there's another song. I think it's give us clean hands, give us clean hearts. Uh, let us not turn our hearts to another. And there is, I think, in that song, something about the, the God of Jacob. And while you're reading your own Bible, later on you'll get a, a lot of the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you don't have any background Bible knowledge, it's not that you can't engage with whatever you're reading or singing, but, man, you lose out a lot if the, the name Abraham does not, does, does not catalyze in you immediately some stories, catalyze in you that... This, um, this is the man God made a promise to, to bring a people unto himself. This is, uh, this is Isaac, who was the, the younger, uh, younger than Ishmael, but the, the son of the promise, who was almost sacrificed on a mountain, I think Mount Carmel, before 
God intervened and provide, provided the ram. Well, this is Jacob who overcame his elder brother Esau, the, the son of the sh- kind of a stolen promise, but that's, maybe shouldn't say it quite that way. Well, the, son, the son of the promise, the son of the covenant. It just, it been, it, 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 in reading through, I didn't read through all of it, admittedly, I listened to most of it. The, knowing these stories, knowing the origin story of the ethnic people God called to bring a, tri- a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself, you'll just benefit a great deal if you just know all those stories. And they're, uh, some of them are very sordid. But if you're reading a translation that doesn't it isn't super formal, they're actually quite compelling. They're very interesting. They're entertaining. You'll you will see this faithful God being faithful over and over again to a people he chose that are faithless, they're often conniving, they're disobedient, and God just keeps pushing through being faithful to his promises. And you should find a lot of comfort in that. So, one, if you'd have been reading this chronologically, you would have read a lot of the origin story of God's people. Abraham, we'll call the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You would have seen, in Genesis 15, my number two highlight, you would have seen that our God, if you are a follower of Jesus, Yahweh God, our God is a God of covenants. If you read Genesis 15 slowly, it's a little visceral. You, you can get your stomach turning if you... Try to use your imagination. The custom in that ancient world when you were making an agreement, a formal covenant with somebody, is you take an animal, you kill that animal, cut it in half, and don't imagine this too vividly, especially if you're eating, but imagine what that would be like. Cutting a lamb, a cow, a goat, cutting it in half with whatever old tools and, and instruments you had, and you would put half the animal on one side, half the animal across from that, and you would walk through together. You, the covenant makers, would walk through the little aisle you just made there to say, if I don't keep my covenant, if I don't keep my end of this deal, may I be like this torn apart animal. May I be ripped to shreds if I don't keep my bargain. Man, in Genesis 15... You start to imagine that God orders Abraham to get the animals, but then God does the does the covenanting, does the work. He even puts a, a deep sleep over Abraham, and he doesn't then when Abraham wakes, does not walk through it with Abraham. He does it himself. He says, I'm going to make you a people. I'm making a covenant with you. It's not about you, Abraham. It's not going to be about Isaac or Jacob or your descendants. I sovereign over all, I make the covenant with you. I'm going to keep the covenant, whatever you do. That is not comfortable for the American dream mentality. It is not comfortable for our individualist Western societies where we actually find comfort in the idea of something being on us, something being our responsibility, because then we can control it. We can take some credit for it. But from the beginning, as God makes his covenants, he says, no, I mean, you're, you're going to be held accountable to standards, but me keeping you and you being in a relationship with us, that's on me. And after you get past your discomfort of not being responsible for it and not, having, uh, in, and not being the primary role, you actually find a great deal of comfort in it. That the God who cannot fail has made a covenant with you. I, my dad said this at my, my wedding, and he said it because I 
largely put it in the <laughs> put it in the uh, the script for him. But there's that idea of a contract where it's it's always if then. If you do A, then I'll do B, and if you do A, then I'll do B. And, and marriage isn't like that. It's not if you maintain a certain hip to waist ratio, ladies, or a certain body mass index, uh, then then I will I'll I'll continue to love you. And it's not ladies, you don't say to the guys, if you make this amount of money, pay me this much attention, spend this much time with me, then I'll continue to love you. It's not if-then clauses. It's just covenants. Whatever you do, I'm going to be faithful to what I said I'm going to do. And that is what our God does for us. And it's a glorious truth. And he's a God of covenants. He made a covenant with Noah, made a covenant with Abraham, then makes a covenant with David, and then we have the, that final, that new covenant, the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said, that, uh, that he inaugurated through his work on the cross. So God is a God of covenants, and that's good news. So takeaway one, if you're reading chronologically through the Bible this week, for me, man, it's good to know the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It just informs so much of your reading and your singing. Two, God is a God of covenants. He made the covenants to save us, and that is very good news because he does not fail. He never has. He never will. And then my final takeaway this week, it's a, just always good to get clarity on a story that worldly people or just liberal theologian types uh, they try to they try to change the meaning of because the real meaning makes them uncomfortable. So you might have heard over the years people trying to reinterpret the Sodom story, and they'll quote they will. So let me give them some credence that they have some kind of argument that one of the prophets uh, I'm having trouble remembering which one at the moment says something about the sin of Sodom being uh, their lack of generosity or their lack of, their lack of hospitality. And those people are trying to make the point, it's not about homosexuality. It was about generosity and hospitality. But you can just go read the plain text. Go read Genesis 19. The, the sin of Sodom is... Uh, there got guys at the... Sodom has citizens at Lot's house saying, the two men that went in there, they were angels, send them out so that we might know them. That's that we might have sexual intercourse with them. Now, granted, in uh, in the, the the genteel language you might want to use, they would say they're not being hospitable there. Yeah, that's true. They're not being hospitable. It's in a very specific way. You know, not calling them inhospitable might be a little bit of an understatement. But there is the last one I wanted to give you. If ever that gets brought up, you hear that point. Just go back to Genesis 19. It's right there. It's right there in the text. It's plain at the sin of Sodom was their sexual exploitation, and particularly the sin of homosexuality. All right. I want to finish that because I think what we're going to do when we come back will take us through the rest of the show. I, I'm first going to make you angry. I'm not doing that on purpose. I think there's an important effect to understanding some facts. And I think the facts I'm going to tell you will make you angry. I don't intend to. I think it's going to happen. But I will never leave you there. Anger is unproductive. It's probably, it might be the most unproductive emotion. It doesn't do anything. It usually just makes a mess. But I want to tell you some stories that illustrate the moment we're in regarding the culture's rejection of Christians and Christianity. And then ask, what does the Bible tell us? Do we have any book to go to to ask, what, what do we do in a culture that isn't quite persecuting us yet? but is getting quite hostile. We're going to walk through that maybe for the rest of the show when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts.
you are given to temper, then stick with me. Don't let that temper flare. Let me ask you to uh, uh, embrace some stoicism for a moment as I share with you several stories. And I want to get to the implications and the response thereto. I think it will be a fruitful and maybe an important discussion that we have today on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. You can find me, your host, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my odd name, Corey Truax. You will find me there, and you can also contact the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Would love to correspond with you there or just... Maybe that's not true because I'm very bad at corresponding. I'm very busy, and so I don't write back uh, with any kind of regular timing. I mean, one of my favorite people uh, that listens and also a friend, especially from college, I'll just say his first name in case he doesn't want his last name associated with me, Zach, he'll write me on Twitter. I, I didn't realize it. There was a message sitting there from like seven months ago. So that's how bad I am sometimes about not responding to things or not seeing things. Uh, but especially if you have opinions, thoughts, stories, send them on over. would love to interact with those. There's a unifying theme to what I'm about to share with you, but let's just do some headlines, and I'll do some further explanation as we go. From the Daily Wire. Minister lawyers up, lawyers up after Massachusetts Library cancels his pastor story hour event. You know about the drag, drag queen story hours, these very terrible things going on around the country where uh, the naturally, unquestionably sexual nature of drag queens. This is cartoonishly, these are men dressed up as cartoonishly sexualized women uh, reading stories to kids to try to make them more comfortable with it. I think instead of just complaining about it, screaming about it, being angry about it, some pastors did a very interesting thing and just started hosting pastor story hours, reading stories to kids, maybe even Christian stories to kids for those that signed up at whatever libraries would allow it. So a Local minister signed up to do that in Massachusetts, and some of the folks at the library there got a little angry. About 75 kids uh, signed up to be there, and then the public library posted a statement that said, quote, the use of library meeting room by a nonprofit does not indicate endorsement by the library. We support your individual choices, and they, they tried to put that out. Like, hey, we, everyone has the right to use this, and it's not, don't, don't think about it as, uh, as us endorsing this pastor and his views. And then they got lit up. One person uh, wrote, by allowing hate, so just having a pastor there, by allowing hate into your library, you're implicitly saying to vulnerable populations that they're not safe there. This is blatant discrimination, homophobia, bigotry, transphobia. Short story, the library, the Chelmsford Public Library in Massachusetts told the pastor he couldn't do it. So the drag queens can do it, but the pastor can't. He has a lawyer, and he'll start working through the court system for that. Headline two. This one's from The Federalist. Let me go find it. Here we go. From The Federalist. Minnesota poised. This is this goes too far. I wish they wouldn't have wrote it this way. Minnesota poised to ban Christians, Muslims, and Jews from teaching in public school. That's not at all the white way to say it. That's People write headlines to get clicks. But here's the reality. In Minnesota, there's a law proposed, not passed, don't freak out, proposed, not passed, that says, uh, this is standard section 2D, that a licensed teacher fosters an environment that ensures student identities, such as race and, and race and race ethnicity, sex and gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, are affirmed and incorporated into a learning environment. 
So could you do that if you're a Christian? Could could you are are they effectively not banning, but are they effectively eliminating it, making it impossible to be a Christian and a teacher in a Minnesota public school? You'd be required to affirm sexual orientation, gender identity. Fi- lawsuits are being filed if it passes. The the, the groups like I forgot their name. Alliance Defending Freedom said they're ready to sue if, if it ever becomes law. But that's what's desired. So the minister can't do a story hour. The Christians would have trouble being teachers from the New York Post. Allison Williams sues ESPN, Disney, over their vaccine mandate firing. And Allison Williams doesn't say she's doing it for any religious reason. She just said she was, uh, I think, pregnant at the time or trying to become pregnant and didn't want to take any potential risk, but she's being fired, and now she's suing. And we know that, I may not agree, but everyone's conscience is their own conscience, that there are there are Christians who opposed taking a COVID-19 vaccine that were either going to have to lose their job, be fired, or have to quit. We know that there was a lot of voices that are okay with that, and now we're, having, now we're seeing some lawsuits, you're seeing some responses, but do you see the core thing, the or the core issue? The word I'm looking for is the persuasion. The word I'm not looking for is persuasion, but that's what's coming to mind. The natural inclination. There we go. The natural inclination is that, yeah, we can kick out the pastor. Yeah, if the Christians won't affirm homosexuality, they can be eliminated. Oh, yeah, if you won't do what we say on the vaccines, then, yeah, you can just lose your job. Next headline from El American. Video game company Limited Run Games, it's called Limited Run Games, fires a worker for following libs of TikTok on social media. Short version of the story is a young lady who worked at this video game company responded to uh, a tweet, someone asking, hey, are you excited for the Harry Potter video game? And she said yes. And then just some bitter Twitter person started looking into this woman because she said in her bio she worked for this company, this video game company. And found that she followed Gasp, Ben Shapiro, and Libs of TikTok, and other conservative accounts. And so they complained about her and said, you, you, this, this person's a bigot because they follow these people. And they fired her. This person happens to identify as a Christian, but because she did some things that some Christians might do, might follow Libs of TikTok on Twitter, might follow Ben Shapiro despite neither one of them being Christians, just identifying with some Christian thought. Ben Shapiro put some things out there. The Lives of TikTok would put some things out there that generally align with some Christian thinking. And she's fired. Lost her job because she followed those accounts. Headline. Ex-Virginia Tech soccer player who refused BLM kneeling gets $100,000 in a settlement. Uh, story is back in 2020, this player, Kirsten Hennig. Kirsten, probably? Kirsten Hennig. The entire team was going to kneel for the national anthem during a soccer game at Virginia Tech. She was the only player who didn't. She says at halftime she was berated and humiliated and yelled at. She was benched, and the, the, the coach who did the yelling and the humiliating and the denigrating continued to do it and would not play her to the extent that she had to leave the, the team. And again, this is good. The courts have settled, and she got $100,000 for her troubles. Good for her. Again, the natural inclination, the default setting, was that she could be removed for not wanting to be associated with not a sentence, because the sentence, Black Lives Matter, is just true, good, and biblical. The, and by biblical, I mean biblically accurate, of course, Black Lives Matter. The, or didn't want to be involved with the organization, didn't want to be associated with those things. 
the natural inclination is, yeah, she can just be eliminated. You can just sit her down. You can take from her what she's earned. Headline. There, well, this is Alliance Defending Freedom, and they don't put a headline on this one. It's just the story of Blake Allen, 14-year-old female high school student in Vermont, who happens to be a Christian, but you don't, you don't even have to be one to come to this conclusion. She got very upset with the fact that she's a 14-year-old girl and changing in a locker room with a biological male who says he's a girl. And when she spoke up about it, the Vermont school system, that local school system there, sided with the 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 male thinks thinks he's a woman thinks he's a girl and suspended her Sus- because the girl's father got involved on campus says he can't come back to campus he is suspend- suspended from even coming to the campus where his daughter goes to school i suspect many of you saw this headline it was in many places but i'm just pulling from the blaze here the headline no i have a pop up yay all right here's the headline Jesus Save shirt is offensive, Mall of America shoppers, security guards say, and orders the man to remove the shirt or get out of the mall. I'm looking at the man right now. He's a, he's a black guy with dreads, got a shirt on that says Jesus Saves. The back of the shirt has the coexist sign. You've seen that sticker, and it's marked out, and it just says Jesus is the only way. And you can go watch the video if you want. Mall of America in Minnesota just kicking him out. It's just people are offended. It's It's religious. It's religious in nature. This Jesus shirt is offensive, and you got to go. So take all those together. I could go on. That's just probably 10 days of news for me where I just happen to see these stories. People who are either openly Christian or associated with ideas that are associated with Christianity being fired, benched, denigrated, mocked, kicked out of places. And yes, Court systems in America are responding properly for now. We know who gets to, you know, in our system, we know who gets to appoint a lot of judges. It's mostly politicians. It's not like that in every state, depending on state courts and uh, circuit courts and all that. And courts seem to be responding properly in favor of religious liberty most of the time. But with a, with where our culture is headed, you wonder how long that stays. So you start to see all of that. And I w- would imagine there's some anger. I know I'm, ang- I, I, I don't, I'm not given to anger, but yeah, that makes me angry. It makes me angry that the natural inclination of the culture that I'm in says, yeah, you can kick out, fire, bench, otherwise denigrate people who think these things. They're the ones that you can, that you can, do bad things to, and no one says anything. Now, you, it is the case that you can do bad things to other groups, but the culture steps up loud and stands for those other demographics. It's this, this group. If you think this way or you're a Jesus follower, you're the ones we can go after. Now, you would also hear those stories and, I think, say, man, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Let me tell you about your Christian brothers and sisters right now in Iran or Iraq or Syria. Let me tell you about sub-Saharan Africa and what it's like to be a Christian there or in North Korea. What it's like to be a Christian in China right now. Let me tell you, like you, yeah, you're losing jobs. People are looking into you on Twitter and trying to get your life ruined, but not, uh, that's just other citizens doing that. Mostly, you know, governments are sticking up for you through the courts and you don't really know what it's like. Yeah, that's true. 
That's good perspective. I wouldn't use that persecution word for where we are. But we are in a time of hostility. And where a hostility is acceptable. If you went back to 1950s America, an unacceptable hostility to have would be towards communists, the, the Red Soviets. If you just openly said bad things about Russians, that was okay with people. It was good to have open antipathy towards the communists. We know for far too long in American history, it was normal and accepted that if you had open antipathy towards black Americans, no one's going to look at you weird. People will join in with you. Not, or at least, I say no one, but majority of people are going to be okay with it. And that's, you know, those aren't the case anymore, for the better. But yeah, we've, we've moved into a hostility where k- kicking someone out for a Jesus shirt is, yeah, of course, well, that's offensive. Yeah, of course that person shouldn't work here. They think that men, are, men and women are women. Of course they shouldn't be able to work here. No, of course that pastor shouldn't be able to come read anything at this library. I mean, he believes in biblical sexuality. And it's normal and affirmed. We're, we're in that hostility. No, we're not being persecuted. But we've entered into an era of hostility. And so if we identify that as true, we know where all the answers are. We know that all we need for life and godliness, even in a culture growing hostile, we're going to find it somewhere in the scriptures. In that vein, I'd like to point you towards 1 Peter. It's not all that long of a book. I think it might be one of the books right now the church needs to interact with the most. Right now at Beechwood, our small groups happen to be going through 1 Peter for for this month. I'm sure we'll move on to something else after that. But let let me encourage that. It won't take you long. Read it. Read it slowly. Get a study Bible. Read the uh, the cliff, not cliff notes, read the study notes along the way, get familiar with it. Because I think it is the book that will get us familiar with where we are in the culture, and if things don't change in America, where we will continue. So let me set it up for you. When Peter wrote this book to those Christians in that part of, uh, let's call it the Mediterranean Rim, it's not really, that's, uh, that's not quite right, but in that part of the world, there was no open state persecution of Christians. You know, Nero hadn't come along. There wasn't a active Roman or even local killing of Christians. Even the Jews that would have been in that part of the world wasn't just they were not authorized to just go around killing the Christians. There was not an open persecution. But the Christians that were converting were just weird. It was just normal to mock them. They were the outside group. They were the marginalized. No government persecution or institutional persecution, but just as a society, it's just insulting. These people are kind of weird. They don't think about money and relationships and marriage and parenting and possessions and the afterlife like we do. They're exclusive with their worship. They won't participate at the temple. They won't participate in the local uh, the, the local gods, this, they're just kind of a weird group. They won't worship what we worship. Hear me say that. They were looking at Christians and saying, we won't worship what we worship. Now, that's not how it would be said now, but that's about where we are. We're in a culture that worships sexuality. 
We're in a culture that worships above all the self, the autonomous self, that you do what feels right to you. And the Christian looks back and says, no, sexuality is just for one man and one one woman in marriage forever. And your purpose in life isn't you. Actually, you'll not, not just live according to God's standards. You'll be a happier person if you would forget about yourself and start living for your creator, enjoy him forever, and the roles that he's placed you in. And so right now, we're just insulted. It's just normal to think bad of us. Peter wrote, wrote to a set of Christians in that kind of environment that we're living in now. And as he wrote, as he wrote to them, one of the key passages in, in the book is in chapter 3 where he says, hey, be ready. Be ready to offer an answer for the hope that is in you. Improperly over the years in Christianity, that verse has been used as a springboard to apologetics. They'd quote Peter saying, hey, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you and say, that's why you need to be an expert on creation versus evolution. That's why you need to be an expert on where the Bible came from and how it was translated and transmitted through time. That's why you need to have a really good answer for what you do with evil and how uh, a good God is not the, the causer of evil but uses, uh, uses sin sinlessly and how it's a broken world. You need to be an expert on that. You know I, I love apologetics. I, I did it for a long time. That's actually not what Peter meant at all. Peter was saying, yeah, you're, you're living in a time where you're going to face some kind of opposition, some insults, stuff like that. When you respond differently than they expect, you might create some curiosity. Because the expected response to slight an insult is for you to return slight an insult. The expected response from a pagan world is that when you have something taken from you, you want to take something from them. When you are, when you are insulted, you want to insult back, fight back. And when you instead respond in patience and in love, some people are going to go, wait, why are you like this? Wait, wait sir, so you're going to lose this account, you're going to lose this job, and your financial security because you you think they're acting unethically and you it, it's against your morals and your conscience? Well, that's weird. Can we talk about what, why are you like that? So hold on a second. For years you would visit the temple prostitutes with us and now you want to be faithful to your one wife. And you seem happy about it. Okay, I need to know about this. What's what's what, hey, what's going on? And transmit that to modern day. Man, you don't participate in all this porn, all these that men participate in. Why why is that? Madam, you say such nice things about your husband. Wait, why is it this way? You just had a parent or yourself diagnosed with something terrible, and you seem so hopeful. What is that? And he says, have an answer for the hope that's in you. And in this time where your pastor is getting kicked out of the library, where your friend is getting kicked out of the mall, where your other friend was fired from her job for following the wrong people on Twitter, when in this environment you are still patient, loving, actively doing good, not fearful, you don't seem to have anxiety. 
about the world you're in. Wait, what's that hope like? Why do you have that kind of hope? Peter was saying to them, have an answer for that. Because it's you're, you're going to be so odd to people, they might ask. Now, further story on this. There was an emperor named Trajan, and this would have been uh, near the 100s, so in the year 99 up to like year 112, somewhere in there. Emperor Trajan sends a guy named Pliny the Younger to investigate the part of the world that Peter was writing to. You Reading Pliny the Younger is actually one of the more interesting things you can do as a Christian. And actually, now that I find I'm coming up to the break, that is a really good teaser. All right, so there was an investigation of the Christians at this time that are living in a world like the one we are living in now and going into more. Pliny the Younger is sent to investigate the Christians of that time, and his writings are quite interesting. And I think what he found will help us as we start to operate in this world as well. We'll talk about that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I know when you turned on the show today, you were thinking, man, I really hope I get to learn about some ancient Roman writings about Christianity. And you know me, I never never fail that instinct in you to give you some really obscure historic information. But I promise you, this obscure historic information, I think is very enlightening to where we are in, in the times that we're in and, and where we're headed and how to live through them. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on His Radio Talk and wherever you find podcasts. Find me, your host, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my name, Corey Truax. You can find me there. I can even provide to you some of the stories we talked about today. So I have all those that long list of stories showing Hey, it's, it's kind of getting dark out there for, for the Christian. It's not an easy time to be one. It might be getting a little darker. And that is analogous to a time in world history where Peter, who wrote First Peter to a group of people who were not under persecution, but were just denigrated or thought of as weirdos. That's what, very analogous to where we are. Now, Christianity began to grow at, in that time long after Peter wrote those words. And so the emperor at the time, Trajan, sent a guy named Pliny the Younger to investigate as to why. Uh, This is not the topic, but it actually is one of the more interesting things to read of antiquity. Pliny goes and finds, man, these people are oddly forgiving. They're super generous with each other. They have influenced even like the criminal system where you have what really becomes the earliest models we see of kind of how our court system works for criminal trials. Like he's very skeptical of us, doesn't like us, but he says... They're, they're superstitious weirdos, but there's some cool stuff that these guys are doing. It's, it's interesting. So Pliny writes back to Trajan on some things. So first, when he gets there, he's trying to determine, uh, he gets to the place where Peter wrote his letter. This is decades later. He's trying to determine who's really a Christian and who's not. And he finds, he writes in his letters, there were those that said they were Christians at the beginning. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they walked away from it. Some said they were still Christians, and upon further interrogation with some harsh methods, I won't call it torture, but related to torture, people would recant. But there were a lot of them under threat and sometimes carried out threat, some of the earliest persecution, they would stay. And so Pliny writes back first and says, listen, they're, yeah, I'm kind of concerned with how fast they're growing, but they don't seem seditious, they don't, 
they, they won't pledge fealty to you and you alone. Like, that's actually how Pliny, oh, this is a good, ooh, don't get distracted, Corey, but this is good. One of the ways he would test these people calling themselves Christians is saying, will you do this sacrifice or this, uh, this posture of obeisance and obedience to the Caesar or to the emperor? And so they would say they were a Christian, and then they would do what Pliny wanted them to do and pledge themselves to Caesar as well. So they were trying to have Jesus and Caesar, but there were m- many Christians that weren't. And so Pliny's confused by them because they aren't seditious, but they won't pledge to Caesar, but they're doing kind of good things for each other. He just saw it as maybe a slight risk. Like, Yeah, maybe it's a movement that's, that's going to grow and be something of an issue. And so when the Trajan writes back to him, he says, well, first, stop torturing them. Stop interrogating these ways. If they're not that big of a risk, let's leave them be. And then living for about 200 years under the advice Peter gave, the church exploded. That that culture that was hostile to them, that culture that was skeptical of them, in that environment, they grew quite a bit. I mean, we, we actually know by the time Constantine comes around in 313 that that part of the world, when Constantine declared Christianity to be the, the religion of, of Rome, the Roman Empire, it, it was all, already very Christianized there. It's one of the misconceptions of history is that Constantine made the world Christian. It is more likely the case Constantine saw the world being Christianized and co-opted it because it was coming anyway. So he just jumped in on something that was happening anyway. Okay, so that's the story of Pliny. Well, that's a very small part of the story. Writing back about these people that had gotten the uh, had gotten the message from Peter, and they were effective Christians in the ancient world in a world that was hostile to them and didn't like them, thought they were weird. What can we take from that in our modern day? Uh, let me admit to you, I took this from a, well, only this part. I took only this part from, what's that called? Uh, Truth for Life. Whatever Alistair Begg's ministry is, he didn't write it. Somebody on his, on his own site did it. Like, what can we learn from that part of the world that Peter wrote to? Here you go. Number one, don't over-exaggerate the trial. This is a good word. It's what I tried to do. I, I, I had admitted in Iran and Iraq and in Syria, what's going on with them or in South Korea is very different than the government saying your church can't meet because of a pandemic. Both are bad, but of course, there's another intensity to what what is the word I don't want to use yet. I don't want to use persecution. I just want to call us being, we're just living in a time of hostility. So let's not use that word yet. It minimizes the persecution that your brothers and sisters are actually really going through very dangerous time. I don't know if I can really get that in deeply ingrained in you. It is dangerous, physically dangerous to be a Christian in certain parts of the world. And so while it is annoying right now and it's maddening to see someone kicked out of a mall, lose their job, kicked out of the library because of their Christian stance, don't call it persecution yet compared to what our brothers and sisters go through in some other places. I think also, I would add, add this to what I read from the Alistair Begg site. I think if we start calling this, this era persecution, if times get darker, they don't have to, by the way, 
the church can get to work and we can see a revival. But if they get darker, we're going to run out of we're going to run out of labels. We're going to run out of the the intensity of the language that we need to understand what's going on. So let's not over exaggerate it. It's bad, but I don't want don't get into victim mentality. Part of the weakness of our culture right now is there are victim points. If you're a certain level of victim, you get a specialized status. We don't want to join in on that. We can say out loud, yes, we're in a hostile culture to people like me, but I'm not being victimized and I'm not being persecuted right now. So that's one. Two, don't freak out when the exception becomes the rule. I'm sorry. Uh, Don't freak out at the exception, but instead live in the rule. So I learned this from the Alistair Begg site. Um, Ignatius was actually, the the ancient Christian father, was actually brutally murdered because of his Christianity. And on decades of, on both ends of his murder by the state, by the government for his Christianity, there weren't other killings. There wasn't a, another a true persecution. And so let's say one of these court cases goes the wrong way, and it becomes very clear that it's okay to, perse- to persecute Christians, or uh, uh, wrong, discriminate openly. Just, it's okay to hate them. We actually kind of encourage hating them. That, that for now, would be the outlier. It wouldn't be the rule. The rule thus far, I've told you both sides of it, it is bad that the Virginia Tech girl lost her spot, but she did get the $100,000 compensation. It is bad that the pastor was uh, tossed out of that library, but the courts are probably going to decide in his favor. It's bad what happened to Jack Phillips in Colorado in the Masterpiece Cake Shop and uh, what's what's going on right now with the 303 Creative thing. I think it's going to turn out well. But there is coming a day where the the rule that's been set up, that the culture's hostile to us, but the state protects us, there's going to be an exception. And don't freak out. We're going to lose one. That doesn't mean you're going to lose all of them from there. That's two. Don't freak out when the rules, when you see an exception to what has been the rule. Three. Expect, uh, this kind of goes with number three, expect some real persecution. That while the rule for us right now is just hostility, what will pop through from time to time is real persecution. And so we support each other. We pray for each other. We live lives that are ready to be generous with one another when that comes up, when those things happen. Four. This is may- maybe the key I want to get across today, maybe more than anything else. Don't let the darkening times we're in consume you with anger. That's a, that's a fear of mine. It goes along, I think, with my fifth point here, which not much, again, it's not mine. I took it from that site. Which was, don't let external threats make you miss the internal threats. That His point there is, you can get so angry at the company that fired the woman at the video game place because she followed the wrong people on Twitter. You can get so angry at the library that kicked out that uh, pastor. You can get so angry at Virginia Tech for what happened to that soccer player. Or you can get so angry that this young girl was... Uh, suspended from her school in Vermont because she didn't want to share a locker room with a guy. You can get so angry at all this that you even, they're going to make the argument. You're going to miss problems in the church. Just anyone who happens to seem like they're on your side, you're going to give them such benefit of the doubt that your doctrine gets wonky and you allow doctrinal softness because you just need allies. You just want to gather yourself as many allies as possible because you're so angry at those that are doing things to you. 
I, I know I'm quoting Star Wars here, and it's not not the most intellectual of sources, but there's you know secular people find wisdom. All the all the wisdom is the Lord's wisdom, and sometimes the world finds it. It is profound though that when Yoda says in Star Wars, "Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering." We're just coming off MLK Day. He has all kinds of problems, doctrinally, economically, in his personal life, but he had some, a, a very good word about this. That darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate can't drown out hate. It cannot drive out the hate. Only love can do that. That's true. And it's been true of every successful social movement throughout the history of the world, the, the long-standing ones. And I see much too often, and I see it on left and right, and even inside the church with, you know, there's certain, there's certain parameters you have to put there, but I see a visceral anger at the world or at each other when there's a disagreement. I, I just want to say with so much clarity, I've been angry. I was my least effective when I was that angry. I shrunk the audience of this show by appreciable factors. And I think the Lord did that. I think there was a reason for it. I'm, I am probably not made for a big audience. My ego's too big. I probably can't handle it. But when I was angry in 15 and 16, I don't know that you could have, I probably was the least effective I've ever been. And it, it was that time when I was so angry that you know, the Lord was loosening my grip on America as the idol I had it. And now it's hard for me to get angry. I get angry at sin. I get angry at our enemy for wrecking people. I, I'm angry when men don't take care of their families. I'm angry when governmental leaders use their power to do evil things. I'm angry that we have, like, you know, I, I'm angry at diseases. I'm, I'm angry at a broken world. So there's, yeah, there's some healthy anger, but man, if we, if we just get angry at the world, if what we have for them is white, hot indignation, and it might even be righteous indignation, I'm just telling you, I don't, we're not going to be effective. I'm actually really, unfortunately, I'm a very good example of that. My rage turned people away. They'll never listen to me again. And if you just rage back at this machine that hates you, We will not be an effective, we're not going to be the effective church that we're called to be. We need that fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, self-control. These are the things that must mark us. Of these, the things that Peter told that people group that was going to eventually go into persecution, that's, that's one of the things that Pliny picked up on. These people are forgiving they're patient. They're hopeful. So listen to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be angry. We respond in love. And there's, you know, there's times where you got to take care of business and it seems aggressive. But man, don't, don't let that be your first reaction to the world around you. Don't be hair trigger temper person. Don't be that person. It's unhealthy. It's unbiblical. The Proverbs tell us, stay away. Avoid angry people. And then the final tip there I got on the Alistair Begg website, I think that's called truth for life. 
don't let the external threats make you miss the internal threats. So, it, uh, how did I hear someone say it here recently? They, they said of Tim Keller, he punches right and coddles left. So he tries to be nice to those to his left to bring them in. But to his right, he punches at those people, and he's more aggressive with them. I, it was in a conversation where I think I was being accused of the same thing. But I don't think that's true of me. I coddle both directions. I think kindness wins. I tend not to punch. or um, It takes me a little while to get to punching. I'll get to punching verbally, by the way. I mean totally verbally. I don't mean anything physical. Well, well I will punch. But I want to win people over by just kindness and winning them in to listen. And the, Anyway, I got off point there. The point there was there is a tendency to start looking out at the world and wanting to punch at them because of what they've done, and we lose sight at what's going on in our churches. We lose sight at biblical faithfulness. We lose sight of being uh, being careful with our doctrine, of catechizing our kids and discipling our people because we have a hunker-down mentality. We are under threat. We are under siege. We are in danger. And so the, 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 dis, the disciplines of the faith, the, the doctrines of grace, the things that we need to be teaching— and the the methods of grace can even get, by the methods of grace, I mean going to worship on Sunday, singing to each other, singing with each other, reading the scriptures, hearing it read out loud, saying our creeds, hearing sermons, all that can start to take a back seat, and we'll even start having a little bit more patience for people on our side and their error, because we need allies. All right, I gotta, I gotta close this up. My point here being, read through First Peter. There is wisdom there to be had, about being a Christian in a hostile time as we continue to advance into that time, at least for now, in the United States. I'm so grateful that you listen to us on His Radio Talk and wherever you find podcasts. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.